what I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. Dan Snow is a popular historian and TV presenter. He made his debut on the BBC in 2003 and has gone on to present numerous popular history programmes as well as many important state occasions. As well as being a successful author, he runs an extremely popular podcast, Dan Snow's History Hit, the UK's most successful history podcast with a million listens every month. He was appointed member of the Order of the British Empire in the 2019 Birthday Honours for Services to History. And most importantly, he is a patron of Humanist UK. Dan, thank you for joining us on What I Believe. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Now, you've dedicated uh, your working life so far, at least, to history and the popularising of history. Um, Why is that? Well, why is that? Well, I think partly because I'm absolutely rubbish at everything else. I come from a a culture, a family of oral historians. My my grandmother, you know, we we didn't watch TV in my grandma's house when we were a kid. She was my nine, my Welsh nine. And she'd tell us stories about the past, about particularly her family, largely made up, I hasten to add, about we descended from King Arthur and Llewellyn. And, oh, yes. And, but, and then she'd tell us about them, and then she'd give us a very rosy picture of David Lloyd George without some of the uh, slightly more um, interesting and important uh, character flaws and traits that I've come to know as a, as a as I've read proper history. But anyway, so she um, and my mum and dad, my aunties, historians, so we, we came, in our family, people talked about history a lot, basically, and, and they did a lot of broadcasting. My mum and dad were both journalists. So we did, we, we were just a lot of, we did, told a lot of stories. Uh, we um, went to a lot of historical sites. I got, you know, I spent my entire childhood traipsing around bloody battlefields and abbeys. And, and eventually you just get Stockholm Syndrome, buddy. Eventually you just get <laughs> And this is how intergenerational trauma works. I now inflict that upon my poor little children. It's a pretty positive sort of trauma to suffer well, from, though. I hope so. Although there's some days we were in Ireland the other day in a in a an, on our third or fourth castle the day, and it was torrential rain. And I made everyone get out of the car and run. And my four year old just shouted as, she, as we came over the horizon to another castle. She shouted, "Oh no, it's another smashed house." <laughs> That's what history is. I, I One smashed I, house after another. I'd never thought of them as smashed houses, but she's absolutely right. So. Uh, and then, and then, of course, pure luck, huge privilege. Um, you got got spotted doing the Oxford Cambridge boat race. Got asked to do some stuff at the BBC because my dad was a journalist. They would do stuff together. Absolute, you know, extraordinary luck at that moment. And just found out I absolutely loved it. I just couldn't think of a thing I'd rather do, which is tell extraordinary stories from the past. Uh, try and make them relevant and interesting. I mean, I love the, I love the, I, I love like you. I love the intersection of history and, and contemporary politics and ideas. Why do people do the things they do? You know, why we? Why do we? What is going on with Trump, Brexit, responses to climate crisis, whatever it might be? How does history help us to understand our own experience, what we're going through? It's always been rooted. In, I'm not sophisticated enough to be one of those people that thinks that history has to be 
talks about and it studies on its own terms, complete isolation from the present. I, I've always just kind of been interested in Israel-Palestine because I'm amazed by what I've seen when I've gone there or, or watched the telly and, and uh, seen what's happening there. So, um, and I, so it's just a, it's just a, it's been given it's luck to be given the opportunity and then an enormous enthusiasm and passion for it once that's happened. I'm I'm very lucky. I still absolutely love it. I love meeting people of industry. I love meeting great historians, and I love synthesizing their remarks and arguments and thoughts and and broadcasting them. So that's the point, is it, for you, what you said a moment ago, the, the, the history, the importance of history in explaining our own experience and events about us. Is that the most important thing you think about history or that you're trying to convey to others? I think so. I think um, with, a, with, a, with a commercial hat on, you know, I, I, wouldn't, be able to, I wouldn't be able to make a living mm. if, if I didn't also realise that it, some, some stories are just epic and, and worth telling. Alexander the Great's conquest of the Persian Empire, um, Marie Curie's Nobel Prizes. You know, some some things are just completely fascinating, and, and in fact, lots of things are uh, and, and wonderful. And people want to hear those stories. They actually prefer reading that nonfiction, listening to that nonfiction to fiction, because they 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 want to know about the, the siege of Vienna in the 17th century and the gigantic cavalry charge that inspired Tolkien. Um, with, with with his with his sort of Deus ex machina cavalry charges that you see in Lord of the Rings, you know. So so some people just enjoy that, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's I think it's uh, I think that's it's it's a, that's a wonderful, diverting, inspiring pastime. For me, deep down, my heart will always lie in in the in the liminal space between politics and history, between uh, it, it, and that is context. I think particularly as Post 9-11, post-2008, the world, you know, history's come back to bite us in the ass. I mean, you and I are old enough that we remember in the 1990s, there was a very powerful sense that history was sort of a bit lacking in, in its impact and relevance because we'd moved into a very different place. Post-communist Francis Fukuyama, yeah. a world where the big questions had been sort of settled. Even yeah. China was beginning to open up. Russia was a sort of proto-democracy of, of crypts of, of sorts, it looked like at that point. And it was thought, actually, do you know what? Studying great power politics of the 19th century is sort of irrelevant. And it turns out that what, you know, it turns out history has come back with an absolute vengeance. And we're, we're dealing with democratic breakdown in the US. We're dealing with, you know, schism in, in the, within the UK and within the UK's um, relationship with uh, transnational organisations uh, like the EU, breaking of international law. You know, the, these are old and weighty and very familiar questions to historians. And, and I almost can't believe that we're even talking about some of them. I mean, the idea that we're even discussing Trump and his attitude towards the defeat in following the election is a, a, a something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And, and if there was ever a, a warning from history, if there's ever a, an appeal to study history, to interrogate the past, to understand better, I mean, we are living through it now. I think especially those of us who were young in the 90s, right, we thought that this was, maybe it's because we were young and had, were coming into maturity at the same time, we thought that just as we were entering this sort of brave new world, also so was the world. And this was, uh, you know, the end point of, totally. of, of lots of events. That you, like you say, that didn't turn out to be be the case. I mean, do you think that... Obviously, this is an important thing about history to you. Do you think that it is something that is generally lacking in public um, awareness? Well, yeah. I've, well, well, actually, that's a great question. But I mean, just briefly, I mean, you and I, obviously, we were very young in 1997, almost yeah. on, incognizant of what was going on. But I, I, you know, it's weird. I look back and I was actually weird. I left school the year sort of Friends Reunited started. Like the internet literally 
happened the year I left school. Like when the year I left school, no one had heard of the internet. The year I left university, everyone was like, oh, there might be something on the internet. Let's do some emailing. Like it was an <laughs> So like that's how, so it literally ch- coincided. It would be like being a French person coming of age in 1789. I mean, how mad my world, my worldview must be so weird. Um, anyway, so, but you're right. No, in terms of our, I mean, there's lots of history around, obviously. I mean, endless, I mean, Boris Johnson gave a speech a few days ago, as, as we we're recording this in October of 2020, which was riddled with history, all about Drake and Raleigh. And he was referring to offshore wind, uh, wind generation. And he couldn't resist getting a dig in about wind is what made the British Empire great. Look at Drake and Nelson and Raleigh. And, and I, so I think, and we, we don't even need to rehearse the Brexit standing alone 1940 Battle of Britain mm. parallels. Uh, I, I think that history is infuses. I think history infused the Brexit vote. I think history infuses the, the debate around Scottish independence uh, in there. And it's, it's, it's not often referred to. It's, and in fact, if you start arguing about it, people think you've gone a bit mad. But, you know, it's Alex Salmond timed the vote to coincide with the 700th anniversary of the Battle of Bannockburn. But, it, mm. but it's but it's un, it's 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 unstated because the minute you start talking about it, it almost seems so weird it's embarrassing. So it's the right. minute you you challenge the Brexiteer going, oh, haven't you just been drinking too much kind of post imperial Kool Aid and and you just mm. Battle of Britain was won by uh, British genius and all these they, they go I don't know what you're talking about you're being weird but I I see it everywhere I see it every now maybe of course that's my bias but I, I, I well, you're saying it's their beliefs about history so obviously history shapes everything but what you're saying is that people the sort of people you're talking about different political views yeah that their beliefs about history shape them I think so and if you look at the states the partisanship I think Vietnam yeah. is hugely important it's not it's not just on the left but if you look at the the growth of a right wing media environment ecosystem in the states if you look at the the beginnings of people starting to regard the other party as uh, fundamentally un-American and a danger to the republic, you know, specialists will pick me up on this. But you really there's a sense growing out of Vietnam through um, through Nixon's removal from office, forced resignation that that um, that that you start to you start to take partisan identity depending on what you think of those of those episodes of those things. And I think in the UK. I think I think it you know it's inconvenient to talk about, but things like empire, things like Northern Ireland, uh, things like uh, the, the Second World War, misunderstood all bit they are, are a way of have 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 shaped um, our political compasses. Do you think that's? I mean, that that what you're saying is that's true, I guess, for better or for worse. But do you think it is for better or for worse? I mean, do you think that it would be better if we? Could press restart? I mean, famously, this is a country you know that, that we've both grown up and live in it that that hasn't very often pressed restart, or at least has pretended that it never has. Um, whereas there are other countries that have, like Germany, for example, built built themselves up from zero to constitutional republic. Do you think that um, it's good, a good thing that history sort of infuses or beliefs about history infuse our life in this country well, in that way or a bad thing? Is that, I've got Edmund Burke here on my shoulder. and you know, what's so Push him off. I'm not a fan. What's, <laughs> what's so fascinating about Britain is the UK is that it really is the longest uninterrupted sort of political entity on on the planet, I mean, I think I think I'm right in saying. I mean, there may be a few small examples like Luxembourg. Well, no, Luxembourg had German occupation, but so um, in terms of you know, Britain has paid its debts, and in fact, that's something we may be very grateful for uh, in the next year or two when we're borrowing unprecedented amounts of money. 
and the British government is is a is a good person to lend to, uh, because for three but since the 1690s the British government has always paid its debts. Now that's that's in as a parenthesis one of the reasons that Boris Johnson's and and the, can, a wing of the for some reason this very radicalised wing of our allegedly conservative party sort of tink, have started to tinker so much with things like our our, inter, our international law obligations things that's something I, I don't think they realise is as dangerous as it is. You can it takes hundreds of years to build a tradition. Uh, and I think you can you, you, perhaps it might take an afternoon to lose that reputation. So, so I, I think that obviously on one level, that kind of continuity has main, means that there's prob- that there's been no foreign invasion, gigantic upheavals in terms of violent revolution, pogroms, all that kind of thing that you have seen in other countries, uh, like, like like of course Germany, France, Russia, China, uh, te- you know, terrifying episodes. But the, the, clearly the downside of it is that we have not had an attempt. First of all, that has lured us into a sense of smug um, um, self-satisfaction, uh, which means that we we, have, we can we occasionally think we are sort of got, you know, the old 19th century expression that God's an Englishman. Uh, we, we have a, a worrying sense that we are a sort of providential race because everything's gone, quote unquote, quite well for us in the last 300 years. And therefore, we haven't been as self-critical as we might be, and we haven't had as much opportunity to build up again. As we've seen with crisis in terms of the recent COVID crisis, I mean, things were pushed through that it would have taken years. I mean, I, just talking to friends in the NHS, the move to video um, video sessions with, with GPs and doctors would have taken, I mean, years and possible great involvement by McKinsey's and various other consultants. Yeah. And no doubt trying to build a... A, a platform to rival Zoom or Skype, you know, in a kind of indigenous British way, which would have obviously cost lots of money and failed. So, so in a way, you can see in response to crisis how un- unbelievably uh, flexible we can be and, and and imaginative and innovative. So, in, so actually, crisis is sometimes no bad thing. And I, I hesitate to say it because I, I I actually think we can be blasé about the achievements of our our largely unviolent, you know, certainly in Britain, unviolent. Uh, um, development over the last 300 years, but uh, but it, 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 there are there are downsides as well, and I think that it would be nice to grapple a problem like the House of Lords, our electoral system, uh, where power should lie, our, our system of um, local, regional, federal, you know, where power should lie. There, I think it'd be nice to and and the and the established church, for example, that. I, it would be good to have a crack at. And the problem is when you try and fix the roof when it's sunny, everyone thinks you're weird. You're some sort of strange sophologist. Yes. You're some sort of odd eccentric going, you know, while everything's good, let's have a, let's have a good old, you know, spring clean in, in terms of our legislature. Uh, well, that's just in techno that, that, you know, absolutely uh, that wrongly, I think um, is, is seen as a sort of strange thing to do. Have you ever felt any of that complacency or smugness or whatever you want to call it, that feeling of your 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 own sort of culture being a providential one, like in your youth? I mean, I take it from what you're saying that you, although it seems that you still feel a little bit of exceptionalism because of um, what you've said about um, the, the 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 bloodless or, or less violent anyway history of, of of the formation of Britain. Yeah, only, but only several civil wars in the 18th century. Uh, yes, it is quite bloody actually. But did you feel this exceptionalism yourself? Is um, it something you've grown out of? Or? Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think I, I I grew up with a very traditional, uh, very traditional kind of historiographical tradition. So uh, you know, I read I, my dad read me Our Island Story from cover to cover. Oh my goodness! Uh, you must I, be the only person of your age well, who, who uh, had that. <laughs> You know, and I was quite kind of yeah. I definitely had a kind of Whiggish view of history. I was 
Yes. You know, pr- very proud of the, that British tradition and that un- uninterrupted, if you like, that sort of uninterrupted uh, sort of, you know, the the projection of this kind of splendid pro- progression as, as nations around were kind of ter- falling into kind of turbulent, turbulence and chaos. Um, and so, no, I I, I think I, I am British. I am from a I am from an, a tr- the traditional elite where my ancestors are admirals and doctor and de- doctors and surgeons and generals and politicians. So I think it inevitably and, and brackets who've all done really well out of it. I'm a I'm a I'm a wealthy white guy that grew up in a nice house in London um, as a result of you know of obviously hardworking parents, but also enormous inherited privilege. So so I do think. I'm, I, it's very difficult for me to separate that. I, I have a kind of, I, I do, I do, I, I hope I'm able to, I hope I'm able to just try and acknowledge that and then think about the, the, the good things that have derived from that. Like, I think it is, I think it's been, I'm really glad that we haven't, we didn't suffer a, a, a crushing civil war in like the hot summer of 1911 or, or when when the aristocracy looked like they were going to put up a last ditch effort in, in, in against creeping democratization, like I'm, you know, that could have been our kind of nineteen seventeen moment. I'm glad. I guess I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, at, at the same time, I understand that by that not happening, compromises were reached. For example, around inherited privilege in the in the House of Lords, the aristocracy that would that remain remain lo- loose ends that have never been have never were, ne- were never tied up at the time. So. So yeah, that's kind of where I am on that. But but that's a but I'm a, I'm a work in progress. And for example, <laughs> the the hopelessness of Brexit, the hopelessness of COVID, has has shaken my yeah definitely inherited assumptions that the British state is is pretty effective. You know that probably comes from watching a bit of James Bond as well when you're impressionable. You know this amazing myth that was portrayed in James Bond. The entire, basically the Secret Service was being run by the Soviets for long periods of the Cold War. And yet we've come out, the world's come out this view that like the Brits do it better than anyone else, like completely bizarre. But you know, that's a, that is just... It, it, so you think you'll, recon, you'll, you think you'll continue to reconsider this? This yeah. is a dynamic process. You're, you're, you're coming to terms all the time with different aspects of this, I take it. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and institutional failures around Brexit and institutional failures around COVID have definitely, in the last couple of years, have definitely... Can have definitely taken the sheen off my my I guess I have my innate admiration for and sort of confidence in a, a, the British system of government, which is not perfect, but is you know has been around for a while and you know and and got has got us through financial crises. And I don't think that's to be sniffed at actually. Got us through financial crises, got us through uh, foreign wars, and, and got us through. Uh, um, you know, you know, emerging social movements that could have been hugely destabilizing. So, and when you say, when you say, when you're talking about Britain in the past, even three or four hundred years ago, you're saying we, you're saying our, you're saying us. Yeah. As, I mean, you and I weren't alive then, of course. So, you, you obviously, you don't mean literally us. You mean people in these islands who've lived there. So, you feel a continuity in that sense with this particular society and, and nation, obviously. You know, I do, Andrew, and that's very unusual. Usually I'm very good at not saying we and us. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm tra- it's so embarrassing if you present television programs or podcasts and go, then we we took the bridge at Arnhem. You're like, please, God, you know, that's just so... It's interesting, though. I think it's revealing, isn't it? Isn't that revealing the fact? That I think it's revealing in this conversation we're talking about my relationship with it, and I think that's right. I think yeah. deep down I, I will... Deep down, I think it's it is you know it's very it's difficult. And listen, in America, I find American history without trying to get the spotlight off my own prejudices. But <laughs> I find American historical community historiography completely fascinating. I, I really do find in America that is still 
even within the, the academy, which is decried as being sort of liberal bias and everything, I find them extraordinarily patriotic. Like I, I find those giant presidential biographies that come out every year by Ron mm. Chernow and other people. I find those kind of the assumption, the, the assumption in those books is that American history is is a the, the progress towards a kind of more perfect union. And I just find those amazing. But of course, I'm guilty of it too. Do you believe in progress, do you think? Um, I mean, the Whiggish, because I, 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 I resonate completely with what you said about when you were younger, having a Whiggish view. And I'm not from, from any sort of elite background. You know, my ancestors aren't uh, doctors and admirals. They're coal miners and farmers, just even in, in, in the last generation. Um, but I had an elite education, of course. And so um, I, I grew up also with that Whiggish uh, sense of progress and providential um and if you study the 18th century, as we both did, I think, in Britain or in in Britain and Europe, then um, that's sort of inculcated even further in you. But I and I think I still have some residual feeling of, of a progress narrative in my mind, even now. It's it's not so much about Britain; it's more about our species and the world and so on. Do you do you still believe in yeah. progress? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm afraid I'm like I, I I'm getting you know I hope no one I follow all the brilliant people I follow on Twitter that hate Stephen Pinker. Uh, listening to this, but I, I do kind of have some sympathy with that narrative. The, the short version, which is him pointing out that in terms of our data, we are living in a, a radically improved world. Although we do have the kind of issue of gigantic, um, advanced malaise in the global north, obesity, mental health problems. I like, mm. I, I totally accept that, and I think those are almost impossible to ignore now. I think as as we saw gigantic numbers of people coming out of poverty in the 90s following you know reforms in india and china in particular but elsewhere vietnam i think we were all just so excited about access to clean water and, and lack of you know, maternal mortality and those are incredibly exciting we now know those have come at a cost of potentially irreversible and catastrophic climate uh, climate damage uh, which, which is a nightmare i mean it, it gives me literal nightmares uh, and but the 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 ability clearly i do find the ability that our ability to um live in vast numbers feed ourselves and on the whole die peacefully in our beds whilst having elongated our lives through through science through medicine i find that an inspiring story and in a way like democratization when i look at trump i think what what the problem with trump is not democracy it's we haven't got enough democracy so i think uh, the development story is a very exciting one, but I, I'm a, I am still a utopian. I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm still an optimist on that front. I still believe that we can get it. I, I kind of still believe that the world that I thought we'd have achieved by the time I was about 25 will, will probably, I probably get there by the time we're about 95. So not only is it still possible, it will happen. I, I, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a huge kind of, I, I, the, the, the decarbonizing our economy is really exciting. It's too slow, et cetera. But, you know, when you get in a, when you get in an electric car and you drive 300 miles in an electric car, you think this is this is now and, and that the cost of that car is coming down in the next 10 years. It's going to be competitive. But, you know, like I do believe there are. I, I, yeah, I have to believe that this is the right thing to. I also believe in terms of that mental health and obesity crisis and indeed the, the social media crisis, if you want to call it, the isolation, the all that thing. Yeah. I think we've also we we created it. But I believe we've got probably the tools to overcome it. That naively, perhaps, but that's that's where I'm at the moment, buddy. <laughs> well, but has the study of history taught you that that's a, a reasonable thing to expect? Maybe it has. You know, I mean, as Pinker's, you mentioned Stephen Pinker, his his account of the past and the way that he points towards the future. It's it's at least a plausible, you know, narrative. I think it's plausible, yeah. isn't it? That, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And I think that if you look. There's a huge fights that go on within history about 
this quote unquote dark ages, which no one talks about anymore, rightly, because it's the early medieval period and they're not. I, I'm afraid I still call it the dark Oh ages. my good God. Okay. I know. So, and people, are, you're right. Everyone always says to you, oh, but there was such poetry. There was such beauty. Know, there. I'm a classicist at heart. It's the dark age. I, know, all it's not, I forgot. <laughs> if, you're, if you're living in fifth century AD Britain, I think it's pretty dark, to be honest. It's like, pretty dark. Exactly. No, but to call, you know, but to call across Europe that whole bit. But actually, so, so wait, rather, rather than try, I think what's interesting at the moment is rather than trying to find like spurts of advance and then retreat and oh my goodness, there was a 13th century enlightenment and oh now and then and then the beginning of this kind of insane period of explosive science and engineering that, that from about 1680 that saw us within 300 years reach the moon i mean unbelievable but but actually i think really it's more important to look at to really go back to the kind of domestication of animals, so like farming or the arrival of bronze and actually that's really the amazing one so for 300 200,000 years humans knocked about eating berries and and wandering around uh, and and then in the space of 15,000 years so it's not even the last 300 it's actually that 15,000 years it's the it's the metallurgy that's the explosion and the fact there are a few quiet f- phases within that are kind of actually i think are less interesting um, and so we are on we are on a we are on an ex, like an explosive trajectory, and we may destroy our planet. As and that person, that first person that smelted uh, copper and tin together to make bronze, um, inadvertently take us down this path. But um, we may also we may also create the tools to 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 sustain a a, a to create a livable planet, and sustain it. So, and I'm still kind of I, I still kind of believe we will. And you know, it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk, I think. The last 15,000 years has yeah, been worth bronze, the risk. Yeah, we, the bronze is useful, man. The bronze is useful, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely, I, I, I'm, I'm, both, I, I'm, I'm a mix. Like, I have no, I have no solutions and I often have very little consistency because I'm, no one is happier than me when I'm walking barefoot in a forest eating berries for my children. I do it as much as possible. Mm. But also no one's happier than me when I'm kind of, you know, listening to, like, Beyonce in a comfortable room with the central heating on. Um, right. Or on a flight going somewhere yeah, amazing, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and able to access the sum total of humankind's literary and artistic output from my device that's in my hand. Like, I, so I, I kind of I can see it both ways. Well, you want both those things. That's not inconsistent necessarily. That's right. We're, that's right. We're, 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 you know, one of the things I think about. I think that's a very humanist idea that you've expressed. This idea that we can, at the same time as being in touch with our fundamental nature, we can also sort of give free rein to the possibilities that human technology and inventiveness has created and enjoy those too i mean this is an integrated life it's not necessarily a bipolar one well thank you for like like they, that's like, my diagnosis of you <laughs> you are like those people in the u.s that when trump says something crazy the federalist society kind of take a few hours and then come up with <laughs> intellectual justification for it and and one of my favorite podcasts in the US calls them the intellectual zambonis you know those machines that go on the <laughs> they go out on the ice when it's all scuffed up and sort of smooth yes. down again so that's what you are for me thank you very much well, that's it's it's, it's it, that's a pleasure. Um, well, we've talked about the study of history and, and a little bit about progress. I'm just wondering if there's any period that you've studied. So, moving away from from history per se to specific periods that you've studied that you think have had profoundly a profound effect on shaping your beliefs. I mean, your ideas, because I think most people who've studied different times in the past have found that the ideas of particular people or particular places resonated with them. And my my experience is that for lots of people, they stay with them and they shape their own approach. Is there a particular time and place that has you know, you, you go back to or looking back on, you think this has really shaped my own worldview. Well, again, my worldview changes quite radically 
as, as you'll have seen from this call already. I mean, if we'd been having this conversation 10 years ago, I would not have been talking about democratic collapse. I'd not talk about climate collapse probably as much. I would not have been as interested in nationalism, which felt redundant. Um, and look at the 10 years we've had. So so the answer to that is kind of, and also, you know what? My age, you know, I'm, I'm a different, remember Tiberius, one of your, one of your boys. Yeah. As a young man, Viral, Marshal, saved the Roman Empire on the Rhine, you're an extraordinary character. And when he was old, people, as you all know from, I think it was Tastus or oh, Suetonius, maybe, who knows? Suetonius, yeah. And um, I think, um, I, I just, he said, I don't remember who I was when, when he was urged by his advisor. Yes, like some, yes. And when I read that, my heart turned to ice. I, my blood went round cold. because It was the first time I'd really had it articulated that, we are not the person that we, you don't like land, you don't win the lottery at age 21 and like, oh my goodness, I'm, my teeth are all right and I've got more of my hair and I'm doing fine, right? And then that's not who you are for the rest of your life. And you, it takes a while for you to kind of internalize that. And so I definitely, when I read that a few years ago, I suddenly thought, Jesus, if I want to keep being that person, I really quite liked in my, I thought that person was quite cool actually, the Dan Snow of the of my early 20s. I need to work quite hard at it and kind of, and, and it has to be conscious, but also I, there were bits I'm happy to get rid of. Anyway, that, so that's a long, <laughs> a long way, a long introduction to say that uh, the, the, the bits of the history that I'm inspired by, appalled by, repulsed by, have changed dramatically. So in, in 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 a, I, I found the 18th, when I was in my twenties, I found the eighteenth century so fascinating. It was when the mo- the, the sort of the, the crucible of the modern world and and the development of uh, of the industrial revolution, of the scientific revolution, of, of feminism. You know, Mary Wollstonecraft started to write feminism, republicanism. You know, the American, the first time in human history that a group of people brackets uh, affluent white males, but a group of people sat down and and thought how should we govern ourselves like what are we going to do here and and tried to use and tried to use precepts of reason to sit down and and and, and think about it they made terrible errors of course but I, I found that incredibly exciting and it felt like a world that i recognized and a world full of possibility and a world of optimism um now funny enough now the history that i'm finding speaks to me more is is of the culpability and stupidity of, of politicians, of leaders, of, of I know, I know, but the That's no coincidence, really. Like Richard II, I'm sitting sit on the ground, and tell sad stories of kings who've died. So, like, mm, I, mm. I find, I find leadership fascinating, and I find myself thinking, why? Like, is our is our whole human concept of a leader like incredibly primitive? Like, and I, I'm sorry to use that word in that way, but like, do, why do we have Donald Trump? Like, I, what is? Why don't we have a committee? in charge of like why don't we just do, do do we why do we have this desire and everyone's like oh the queen gives such a wonderful speech at the outbreak of covid i'm like but really i mean what what did that actually change did it make if it made maybe it made people feel better so that's maybe that's what it is maybe you just want a nice joe biden you can go up and say i believe in america or i believe in all our tomorrows young people of the future and i'm like great i mean if that's really terrific what, what why why do we have that like in, in, and, and so i'm really interested in that so i'm interested in in fake news propaganda obviously the, the, the and 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 i'm trying to i'm trying to go back and and think about why we think that democracy is a, is the best system and try to reconnect with 
what what was what was driving those reformers and those thinkers and rediscover some of that passion to think about how we can renew democracy and renew the ideas around liberal democracy um, at a time when they're under threat. So yeah, my, the history that I'm reading and thinking about changes a lot. You'll have to um, break probably your um, your early ideas about progress and a narrative of a providential narrative to, to consider that, won't you? Because I mean, the 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 history of democracy is a is a history of um, it's not a history of advance. You know, it's a history of of collapse and reinvention and so on. But but you but you say you're inspired by the Enlightenment, which is obviously. Um, the implication there is that there's a sort of straight line from the Enlightenment to now. I think that might not be. No, I think of course that's not true at all. But but I think there's a I think there's an energy there and a questioning that endured. Um, and and I but no I no I mean clearly that the. the um, Would you want to resurrect that? You're talking about resurrecting that spirit. No, I, I think I'm talking. Yeah, I think I'm. Well, so what am I trying to resurrect here? Let's have a little think about what I'm resurrecting. I think I'm. I think I'm interested in why, in reconnecting with why, for example, um, men and women risk their lives to vote, to bid on the franchise, to talk about things like censuses, to 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 that, you know the, these these things that if you look at civil rights activists in African American communities in the 1920s, they were they were they were there they were not utopian. They were talking about local elections they were talking about census they were talking about electoral rolls they were talking about and i think we i think we i i need to kind of reconnect with that the sense that we can improve a democracy from within it um, what, what needs to be done what housekeeping what what can be overturned uh how we administer justice those kind of things so so i, I guess that's what I'm- there's a book in that how to be a citizen there's the title for you God, you can do a. You're full of uh, this is brilliant. <laughs> well, actually, you know, okay. Well, this is a, a book, like a, not a book idea, but I, I'm sort of fascinated with. It feels to me like our democracy, our, our ideas around representative democracy, are still quite Jeffersonian. So they're still kind of cool, yeah, really old-fashioned, yeah. really, and bits of paper with crosses on them. I mean, what is going on with that? For starters, mm. and I just think, you know, what if you look at the advances that have made every other field? Like we know things about sociology, we know things about politics, we know things about data collection. We, and I don't want to sound like one of these kind of utopian tech guys in the 1990s, which of course I am sounding like because I was in the 1990s. You're looking for democracy 2.0, aren't you? you want, Just confess it. Napoleon said, if you want to understand a man's worldview, work out what like, worldview is. <laughs> yeah. So I was 21 when all these tech genius tech bros were telling us that everything was going to be great and we were all going to be. But no, so that aside, like what is the next, what, in a way that, you know, my wife's really involved in criminal justice and it seems our criminal justice system is still quite Victorian in a way. It's not, it's not Georgian at all, but it's Victorian. It's, it, mm. it's literally in the case of the prison buildings. It's, it's quite Victorian. So what is the next big turn of that wheel? And, and I, what is the next big turn of the wheel in terms of our duties as citizens to the state and, and, and electing? And because the, the, because the alarm's going off, right, Donald Trump is very useful on one horrible level, and I hope that I'm able to say he was useful as long as he leaves office uh, when he's supposed to leave office, and, and if and when he leaves office in uh, in January um, 2021. Uh, but he, because he is a, he is a symptom a, or an exa- example of your catastrophic failure, catastrophic failure in in our in our political system. Uh, he he has been allowed to lie and shatter norms and all the stuff that we all know about, and therefore. 
Therefore, what does that that tells me that we need to we need to think really hard about what we do to update. And it's and it's how do we make uh, uh, is it digital voting? I think it probably is digital voting. Um, is it is it what is it in terms of information? I mean, uh, why are we not able to have a discussion around exam? Like, why should we not ask first of all medical examination? Trump lied about that and forged one. Uh, you know that psychological examination. Why should we not force them to sit a paper on civics? Like, why someone who wants to someone who wants to control a nuclear arsenal? Why should we not ask them to understand the yield of a nuclear warhead? Like, mm. you know, we ask that of drivers in our streets, and yet you say these things. People look at you like you're a complete lunatic, right? But why is that? Why should we not ask voters to watch a short video <laughs> before they vote? Yeah. You know, like, oh, no, oh, that's Dan, you've gone crazy. You're such an eccentric. Oh, who who does the video? Like, I'm aware of the problems with it. But, like, why are we not having these discussions? And it feels to me like we need to have them. And we can have them because tech and all the information that we now have is able to is able to help with this stuff. It is unacceptable that a majority of Republican voters in 2016 believe that Barack Obama was a Muslim and that unemployment had gone up. That's simply unacceptable. Those are those are facts in a, in a very... In a, in a very difficult world in which what is what is fact, what is not, those actually are facts. <laughs> those are measurable. Mm. And those two things were not true. And yet they, and yet a, a majority of Republican voters believe they were true. That is a big, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. Uh, but it's also a soluble problem. But it's not soluble if you add, if you are, if you think that the things that happened in the late 19th century are basically locked in. Right. I want to ask you right at the end a, a, a more personal question. You said earlier on that you're conscious of being lucky, um, and you, you know, I inferred or, or maybe you implied that that was um, luck by way of um, economic circumstances and and, and and background and so on. Um, is that something that you think about quite a lot? Is that important to you? The a consciousness of your own good fortune and of maybe luck as a factor in in life. Yeah, and I think about it more and more as probably the um, as the uh, swagger of my younger years um, defogs my is, is a bit sort of it's clear. To my heart. <laughs> I think you know, I was temp- I think I was tempted to think that that I that lovely expression about George Bush. He was born on third base and thought he had a triple. Um, and I think I, I think that you know you don't know any better. I think that probably is what I, I was not hugely observant, and I and funny enough, having my own kids has reinforced that because I just look at them, particularly during the lockdown, homeschooling, all this kind of stuff. I just was aware on a daily basis. I was like, God, these kids are really lucky. They've got a mum and a dad with um, re- re- rewarding but not hugely time-consuming jobs who are able to spend a long time with with our three children reading writing um and and then sure enough the kids do well at school well that's that is i can tell you not because of any natural bounty that they've you know none of them are none of them are camus right they haven't they haven't sort of i i wish they were but they're not geniuses right they haven't burst fully armed like athena from the head of zeus there are, you know, there are geniuses in in, in our society, I'm, and I think you're probably one of them. But who, <laughs> who flourished anywhere, anytime. But I ain't one of them people, and my kids aren't because you know when, when they, they, you know, they struggle with reading until I read with them for two hours every day, <laughs> and, and now they're good at reading, right? And so I am really aware of luck, and I'm also, yeah, I'm also aware of luck 
in history. I think we are getting a bit better at seeing the contingency now. I think a previous generation of historians kind of mm. quite like the idea of great men, quite like the idea of sort of people t- t- you know, t- turning and bending history to their fate of the world to their by their own ambition. Alexander the Great, you know, and actually I think Alexander the Great was lucky not to have his head stove in on the Granicus, right? He, and the first thing he did when he invaded invade Asia yeah. Minor was almost get killed. Yeah, you know, by the millimeters away from being killed. So I see more of that now. I see contingency. I see luck. Um, I, I started a podcast that's now got millions of streams. I think that was basically luck. It was the right time, right place. You know, it just caught a wave, really. Um, and and so, yeah. But 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 I've I backed that up with kind of taking seizing luck and going, Christ, how, how I found twenty quid on the on on a street corner. I'm going to do my best to spend it wisely. You know, I've. I, I work hard to bolster that luck, but my, my goodness, I, I do think, I do think this this journey that we're on is 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 pretty fragile. Fascination with history, its beauty, its truth, being British, being radical, the role of contingency, luck. Thanks, Dan, for telling us what you believe. Thank you very much for asking me. That was Dan Snow telling us about his life and his outlook on the world as a humanist for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is a weekly podcast from Humanist UK, and this was the fourth episode of the second season. We'll be releasing new episodes every Thursday. If you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about the humanist approach to life, Humanist UK, or the work that we do, you can find out more at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk, and please do consider joining as a supporter or a member. If you want to know even more about humanism, you can buy the Sunday Times bestseller, The Little Book of Humanism, available at all good bookshops, a great stocking filler. (laughs) 